afternoon. Welcome to The Marriage Project on Faith FM. You are with Bethany and Chapo, where we have come to talk to you about... Biblical wisdom for marriage and how that translates into real life. This afternoon, we are going to be talking about marriage in the New Testament, in particular... Ephesians chapter 5. Some of the things that Paul says about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, why are we talking about this today? Because it makes me nervous. Have we lost our minds? Maybe. (laughs) Because these verses have been contentious in, I guess, the Christian world and for for, for men and for women and how marriage dynamics play out, probably for a long time. Um, They have been applied badly. They have sometimes been misunderstood. Sometimes they've been thrown out altogether. There's a whole range of ways that people have responded to these words, yes, would you say? So, absolutely. So we're talking about that, and what's the what our overall? Overall, we're going to be talking about what else? So we're going to talk about some of the points of contention around this text and, and how it's tricky. We're also going to talk about what it means for wives, what it means for husbands, and what it means for your marriage as a person who believes in Jesus, what it means for both of you together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The first thing I want to say, though, is that the book of Ephesians is not a book on how to live as married people. What? No. So what we actually don't have in the New Testament is a book of the Bible or a letter that is written to a married couple whose names are like Julius and whatever a Greek woman's name would be in those days, and they're receiving a letter from the apostles and it's like, this is how you be a married person under Christ. We don't have one of those books in the Bible. What we do have is a few little snippets where the writer is talking about something else and says, oh, and by the way, if you're married, also this. That's right. And then back to what I was talking about. So we've got some things that Jesus said about marriage. Yeah. We've got some things that Paul has said about marriage in different places. We've got different things that Paul has said about sexuality as well. Yeah. Um, Both like, you know, things to avoid and things to celebrate and things to you know, that are really good. So, yeah, we don't have, we have little snippets here and there. And I guess the really important thing about the book of Ephesians, it is not a book particularly on marriage. It is a book on the gospel. Mm. It is a book where Paul is explaining to this church in Ephesus that was largely Gentile how the gospel really works and how to understand the goodness that God has lavished on his people by calling them his children by raising them up, and then in light of the gospel, as a response to how much God has poured his love out on people, then how do we live in response to the gospel? Yes, and some of the most beautiful parts of Scripture about what Christ has done for us as believers as well. Like, I love Ephesians chapter 2, like about how it talks about taking us from somebody that was walking around dead and transforming us into something that is now living new life because of Jesus Christ. Like there's some just beautiful pictures of what it means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus and a person now living in Christ. That's right. Yeah. It's so, it's also, so it talks about all this amazing stuff that God has done and then it transitions from there and it starts talking about the idea that there are two men, so to speak. Yes. And it talks about the old man, which is how it describes, the, you know, a, a, any living person, a man or a woman, before they came in contact with the gospel. And then it says, but then a transition takes place. The gospel affects your life in such a way that you become a new man. Yeah. And so then, a new human being in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And Paul yep. says in other places you become a new creation. But in Ephesians, he specifically says there's an old man and there's a new man, and the new man is the one who the gospel has impacted their life and transformed the way that they see the world, the way they live. And then he goes on to talk about all the different parts of your life that will be impacted because you are now 
the new man or the one who the gospel has impacted. Yes. And it talks about the way that you will live in society, the way that you will live with your church, the way that you will respond to the spiritual realm as well, because there's a lot about put on the armor of God and, you know, so that you can stand against spiritual darkness and Mm. all the different ways that we live. But one of the key ones, the one we're going to talk about is Paul talks about how does being the new person who has been impacted by the gospel affect your household, particularly your marriage. So I love that you were used the word household there because something that I do want to bring up is that part of the context of this part of Ephesians is to do with something that was called household codes in the Roman Empire. Okay. So something that was really important to Rome was something called the Pax Romana. Have you heard about that one? I have. And what do you can you explain that off the top of your head or is that pop quizzing you too much oh, and you want me to say it? Um no, because I know that the church responded with Pax Christi, yes. which was instead of Rome, we submit to Christ. But yes. what was the, what's the Pax again? So Pax Romana is, Pax basically means peace. Yeah. And basically Pax Romana is the way that we keep peace as the Roman Empire is through power and control, is through military force. And wherever you go, you can see a soldier and you have a representation visually of what it means to be in submission to Rome and that Rome is in control and Rome has got it under control and everything's going to be safe and okay and Rome's going to dominate. Yep. And then the Christian church took it and said, no, Rome is just an empire. Rome is just a human thing that has been built. And under Christ is where we find our true protection, find our true peace. And Paul actually did something similar here in the book of Ephesians okay. because they had something called household codes. And you actually, I believe that there's a parallel to this in Colossians. Oh, yeah. Yes. Likely. Does that make sense to yep. you? I, my brain is sort of... I, I didn't quite get time to, when I was doing all my research, like I honestly was just a hot mess of notes. And um, <laughs> and I was just like, where am I going to go with this? Um, but there's, so there's a parallel in Colossians as well, because this was a common um, saying, phrase, um, a household code of how you keep peace in Rome, how you be a good citizen in Rome. And basically the way that you be a good citizen is that you keep structures that enforce the power and control of Rome. And the way that you did that as a household, the way that you honoured Rome as a household was that there is the patriarch and everything comes into submission and falls under line to him and he submits to Rome. And Paul takes this and he says, no, yes, the women and the children and the servants submit, but they choose to submit out of reverence to Christ. And more than that, the patriarch of the household, he doesn't submit to Rome, he submits to Christ. And the way that he does that is through love and respect and honour and the fruits of the Spirit. And that would have left men walking out of the church that day with their heads spinning, going, what? I have to do something that's not just beat other people into submission in my life? Yeah, so very countercultural. Very countercultural. I I, I think there's two really important points that we just should address as we're starting here. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is that in light of the book of Ephesians, how Paul outlays the gospel and then says in response to the gospel, here's how it should have impacted your life, right? As believing people, the gospel has to touch our homes. Yes. Paul's point is that it's not good enough just to look like a follower of Jesus on the outside and be nice to people at church and be nice to, you know, look like you've got it all together in all these other ways if it's not also impacting the way that you love the person that is closest to in your home. So that's, I think, a really big point. And the second big point, just from what you said about how Paul has sort of latched onto some of these ideas in Roman culture, is that 
Christianity and so many aspects of it were so revolutionary and countercultural and were about lifting up people as opposed to stepping on them. Yeah. And so to us, coming from a very um, egalitarian, equal society where we've got a lot going on about just trying to bring everybody onto the same playing field in in our society at the moment that we were talking about, right? It seems strange to us to look and read at this text and it is very uncomfortable. It is. Yeah. So, um, you said there for, would have been for men, them, yeah. it would have been a total mind blower and it would have been giving power to those who otherwise had no power, but also giving responsibility of love and kindness to those who otherwise would have just, yeah, required that people did what they wanted. Yeah. Because men used who to being in control, used to ruling out of dominance. Yes. Now, under the gospel, there was a mandate of love and sacrifice. That yeah. was put upon them as well. So it was, it was a huge deal. And, but like you're saying, just like for those who this was first read to, when this letter first hit the church of Ephesus and it's being read by the person who was designated to read that day, some of these words would have just really rocked people and yeah. people could have been left angry and confused because it, it challenged so much of the way that they lived and, and how they understood. And let's be honest. In our own discussions as a husband and wife and fellow theologians, we have had discussions and butted heads <laughs> over what this truly means and how to live it out and stuff like that as well. And as you're listening to it, you might disagree with some of the conclusions we come to because that's the nature of this passage. Yes. And even today, as we were preparing for our show, we spent so much more time locking horns over what we wanted to talk about, what we wanted to bring about out of this conversation and the parts that really triggered us as well from our own early experiences in childhood, marriage, and our faith development as well. That's right. Um, and so I just want to just as a disclaimer before we start this as well is that if this does bring up any kind of trigger for you in terms of abuse, if you are not okay, please reach out, call Lifeline, call 1-800-RESPECT, um, find somebody who is safe to can help you. Yeah. Um. To in if you're if you're not safe if you're not okay or if it's triggering for you see a licensed therapist as well. That's right. And now some people are probably thinking, what on earth are they going to read? <laughs> All right. So should we have a read of the Bible? We do need to take a break. Oh. So, so on that note, it's, it's time for us to take a break. So we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. We're going to tell you what this passage is that we've built up <laughs> to be. It's probably sounds more terrifying than it really is. So, we're still so, laughing. We're still married to each other. Yeah. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But um, we'll be back with you very soon here on Faith Effect. Blessed are the poor, for the kingdom is yours. Blessed when you mourn, there's comfort in his arms. Blessed are the meek, with the will to your feet. Blessed when it's righteousness that you seek is beautiful. Beautiful, like a city on a hill.
FM and you've tuned in to The Marriage Project where we talk about biblical wisdom for marriage and how that translates into real life. So we just spent the first part of our show doing a bit of a disclaimer about the text that we're going to read, but we also want to jump into that text and actually read it. So should you read it or shall I read it? So... Yeah, we've been talking about marriage in the New Testament. Oh, yeah. And and particularly this passage in the book of Ephesians that talks about how to... um, have the light of the gospel that has transformed you as a person also impact your home. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. do you want to read the verse? Yes. But here's the thing, chaps. Yeah. Where do you start from when you read this verse and where do you finish? Well, that's a that's an interesting question. <laughs> so, um, I actually believe that it starts all the way back in verse 15 and that it actually doesn't finish until chapter 6 and verse 9. So, in chapter 5 and verse 15, it says, look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then the framing of this text, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. And then at the end, after it talks about servants and masters, it says, masters, do the same with them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So... The whole context of the chapter is talking about how we all come under Jesus Christ, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and then in the and middle of all that... as being under Jesus Christ, yes. all people who are under Jesus Christ have the responsibility to submit to one another. Yes. So it doesn't only talk about husbands and wives. It talks about parents, children, slaves, and masters yep. as well, and how those relationships work, which are all relationships that work within your home. Um, so do you want... 
me to read the wife's part and you read the husband's part? Sounds good. Okay. So I'm going to start in verse 21. Of Ephesians 5. Yeah, of Ephesians 5. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Mm. Now, I don't know if anyone listening noticed that you talked a lot more than I did just then. And so I think it's really important to note that even though what we see there is really hard to see, it's definitely shorter for wives than it is for husbands. So should we talk about what it means for wives and husbands individually first, like break it in half? Or do you want to talk about some of the difficult words in the text? What do you want to talk about, chaps? Well, first I want to talk about some of the difficult nature of the text, particularly okay. for this current time. Like when it was written, it would have been absolutely revolutionary. Yes. And this gave a lot more respect and freedom and I, I think peace to the life of the, the regular wife who lived in the Roman Empire. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. So women were disposable in the Roman Empire. Um, women were usually traded like animals or land as part of financial deals, as part of um, ties between two different families to build those bonds and to make them stronger or to make um, children as part of those bonds as part of those different families. Yeah. Um, yeah. And usually it was the father who decided and made an arrangement with the father of the young man who the woman was going to marry or the old man. <laughs> yeah. And even just the concept that, that a wife is supposed to be loved by the husband was, that wasn't a given. Like yeah. today you'd be like, oh, of course. And it's very easy to read these words today from the perspective of our current society and say, what horrible, archaic words. The Bible is full of outdated rubbish and stuff like it would be easy for people to see these words and think those kinds of thoughts based on some of the ideas there about um, submission and, and so forth. Yeah. But you've got to put your eyes and your mind in the place of the That's, Roman Empire yeah. when this was written and this was so created such a different, I guess, world. Yeah. And in those patriarchal structures, women did not get a choice. Marriage was not about love. Marriage was not about choosing. Um, you know, all of those romantic films where somebody falls in love and the idea of star-crossed lovers or fate or, you know, meant to be together, like those sorts of things yeah. would have been very strange and hilarious yeah. to people back then. Running to the airport to stop someone from <laughs> boarding a plane and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it wasn't it? Yeah, happen. because um, marriages were political and economical arrangements a yeah. lot of the time. And yeah. So that's one thing. Yeah. Another thing why these words are challenging is you and I both grew up in single-parent homes. Yeah. We both grew up with a single mum and we both grew up in homes where domestic violence was present. So for us, this, the, the, there's a, there's a natural challenge for us to figure out what is actually, what is Paul trying to say to us? What is the word of God trying to teach us? And how do we fit that in with some of the, the natural feelings of like 
of trauma that we've been through yeah. and how do we make this work? And that's yeah. why we've, you know, we've struggled over this one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it, if you have a trauma background, especially um, in relation to domestic violence, it can definitely bring out those responses in you because somebody hasn't treated you like an equal. Somebody has treated you like you are less than yep. in your history. And I would dare say so these verses have been some of probably the most misapplied verses in the New Testament in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, um, well, you're supposed to submit, so I'm the boss. So, um and we've got lots of horror stories of things that we've heard about how this teaching, which is actually, you know, very empowering in an, in one way, has been used to really tread different people and squash them down. Mm. So, yeah. And so um, the, the question from this text isn't how can I get my wife to submit to me? It's that the woman who ordinarily never had a choice, who didn't really get to decide in reverence to Christ, in her relationship with Jesus, gets to see her husband as somebody that she gets to choose to love and to serve because Christ loves her and she is a daughter of Jesus Christ and the King of Heaven, Yeah, which is very, very different in those times. And even for us as well, like, it's hard to choose to serve. It's hard to choose to love somebody in a way that puts somebody above us put somebody else's needs before our own yeah. as well. So you brought up an idea earlier when we were sort of mapping, mapping out some ideas. Yeah. And you talked about the idea of reading each other's mail. And yeah. I thought that was very relevant to this discussion about this passage of the Bible. Yeah, it is. Because I think sometimes we we look at this and we throw it at one another, maybe especially in our beautiful Christian arguments with one another as spouses and we go, you're supposed to love me. You're supposed to love me like Jesus loves the church. I've read that part of the Bible. And you can come back and be like, you're not submitting. Why aren't you submitting? The Bible says you have to submit to me. I've never said that. No, no, we've never actually had this argument. But you're saying that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that we can require of one another things that – I guess God never asked us to require of one another, that God says to us, this is for you and this is for you. And so there is a part that's for wives and there is a part that's for husbands and it doesn't mean that we get to throw it in one another's faces. It means that we each get to internalize our own truth and our own mandate from God, kind of like the plank and the log in the eye, you know, like pull out the speck from your eye before you try and get somebody else's plank out. Try and work with what God is asking you to do for your spouse before you try and tell your spouse what your spouse is required by God to do for you. So the idea of reading each other's mail is my focus in this chapter of Ephesians 5 is not wife submit to your husbands. That's not the bit that I focus on and think about what are the ways that I can get my wife to submit to me. (laughs) My focus that I read and that I pray over and that I try to live up to is this terrifying mandate that Paul has given to husbands, which is to love your wife like Christ loved the church, to treat them better than you treat yourself. Um, And there's some other things that I have to talk about them that that are really, really um, heavy that Paul requires of the husband. That's where I focus my attention. My attention isn't getting you to submit to me. My yeah. attention is is love. I don't even need to know that Paul said that. That is irrelevant to me. You know what I mean? That is not the information that I need to know. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, I think we can get ourselves into all sorts of knots when we're trying to force one another to do things 
when it actually is the Holy Spirit who works out in our hearts how to behave and how to treat another person as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, you know this is a very different episode for us because we are very we are exegeting the Bible today. Fun. We're usually more fun <laughs> and talking about different challenges and stories and things like that. But we are we are in the Word this afternoon, and that's I think that's a good place to be. Mm, I think so too. Unemployment, poverty, natural disasters, cancer, crime, war, and famine are affecting billions of people around the world. So, in all of this suffering, where is God? Faith FM's free offer for you today is a new book called Hope for Troubled Times, which explores God's answers to our deepest and toughest questions. If you or someone you love are looking for hope right now, we would love to give you a copy of Hope for Troubled Times. Call us now on 1-800-FAITH-FM, that's 1-800-324-843, and ask for Hope for Troubled Times. Or you can text hashtag hope to 04888-80831. That's hashtag hope to 0488 and follow the prompts. You are here with Chapo and Bethany and we are hosting the Marriage Project and talking this afternoon about the passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about how the gospel should affect your household, how your marriage should be different because you are believers in Jesus. And I feel like, can I just quickly refresh for anyone who's jumped in yeah. um, halfway through of yes. those verses. I'm- do you want to just read the wives part? Because that was what we'll talk about just right now. Sure. Or yeah. Do you, yeah. And yeah. then we'll read the husband's bit when we talk about the husband's. Sounds good. Cool times. Right. Well, maybe you should read it then. Because this is we just said that this is the part that is for you and I, it's, I don't need to know. Okay. So I'll read my mail yeah. and you can yeah. read yours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So first thing that I want to say is that um, when we are submitting, that the mandate before that is actually that each believer submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. So just because the wife is called to submit doesn't mean that the husband doesn't have to submit also. Correct. Because we submit to one another out of Christ. And just because the husband is called to love in this huge and seemingly impossible way, his wife, doesn't mean that the wife gets off the hook for loving her husband either. Exactly. exactly. And, so and that's really important. Are important. So verse 21, let me just read that again, says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is spoken to all believers. Yeah. In every relationship that we have with another believer, we submit to one another in reverence for Christ. So just because I'm the husband doesn't mean that I'm exempt from that between our relationship. We yeah. still, every believer, everyone whose life has been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ lives a life of submission towards their fellow believers. Yes. Is that fair? Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, so the first thing that I want to sort of bring up here is um, often when we look at this, we can be really militant in the way that we think about it and we can think about um, the way that power is played out being as like one person is dominating over the other person, that one person is the lawmaker, the leader, the boss, the manager of the other person. Um, and we, we often get that from the word submit but also from the word head in this text as well. And I'm not going to pretend like I fully have this figured out because there has been paper after paper and word study after word study written about what does the word 
kephale, which is the Greek word for head, mean in this context? Now, there's a few options that it could mean. The first thing that I want to note is that it is unlikely that the word kephale means ruler or boss or leader because when you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek text of the Old Testament, the word there is a different word than kephale when it uses words like commander or ruler or leader. So the other options are that it could mean source, beginning or origin, which I think is a little flaky. That's super unbiblical. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one that it could mean, which is the most logical and lines up with other parts of the New Testament where it talks about Christ being the head and the church being the body, is that it actually just means head, like the head on top of your body that you walk around with, yeah, that is part of your of neck, you. that is on top of your shoulders. Yeah. So, yep, so. And so when you think about head, yes, the head is part, you know, contains the brain and is part of directing and choosing and guiding. But the head is also in control of nourishing. And sometimes the body beats the head as well. Like you think like you're starving and you go somewhere and you just like can't control yourself because you're just so starving in that moment. So there are times when they have to work together and they have to battle it out and try and figure out what's going to be the best choice in that moment. Or sometimes the body, the impulses of the body win over what the mind would like to have it do as yeah, well. That's right. And can I also say a body without a head is dead. Same as a head without a body is dead. They need one another to survive and to thrive and to nourish. And it goes back to Genesis, that picture of a marriage being a oneness, a two people being one, being joined together, being a living organism that is functioning and moving and living as one as well. There's also the idea that when the head does not make decisions that benefit the body, everything hurts. Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas the two should be, like, you were saying that when the head and body don't communicate well, the eating disorders is a result of that. Yeah. And this, in the same way, whereas I could easily eat a whole box of Crystal Cream Donuts on the way home today. Like, I could do it. I could physically do it. But it's a bad choice. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> the, the, the idea that the head and the body need to work well in harmony yes. to create good things. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing here too, can I just think say something that yeah. is an easy misconception? Because it says, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and its saviour. So it's comparing the two. This is Paul, Paul, so, Paul who also spoke about the body of Christ in First Corinthians. Yes. Um, and he said the same way that Christ is the head of the body, which is the church, the husband is head of the wife. So it's, it's comparing those two as, as ideas. Mm-hmm. It is not saying that the wife should respect the husband the same way that we respect Jesus. I mm-hmm. have no power to answer your prayers. <laughs> I don't never sleep or slumber. I, I, I don't get, have the ability to give you spiritual gifts. I, I mm. am not returning in power and glory to, to raise the dead. You know, I am not Jesus. And yes. I think it's very easy for people to read this and assume, oh, their wives are supposed to treat their husbands the same way they treat Jesus, which would be a terrible application of this text. Well, that's it's idolatry, not, isn't it? It is not what yeah. it's saying at all. Yeah. So, And that's, that's the truth. Like the actual saviour of the world? Jesus Christ. No question about that in the Bible. It's a word picture that we're looking at here about what marriage is. So, yeah, I think that's a really important point that you brought out of it. I also just want to say, like, as women, when when I think about submitting to you, chaps, that kind of makes me real nervous because of my past history to do with power and control and domestic violence in my household growing up. But when I think about submitting to Jesus – I have no problem with that, no problem, no reservations, no timidity or fear. And I think that that's a really important thing to remember as well. Like, what are we submitting to? And if the 
the husband that we are submitting to is Christ-like truly, then we're not going to be reserved, timid, or afraid as so, well. So you're saying I'm not Christ-like? Babe, we're all <laughs> like in progress, hey? <laughs> your argument just left it wide open there, so... Um, Kind of feeling a little bit judged. I just want moment. I just want to say that my husband's really nice, but I'm not going to lie and say that my husband is Jesus because Jesus is actual Jesus. Um, but I just want to say that men can't read minds. They don't know what we want. We need to be open and loving, and we need to shut that that back door that's sort of that. I think a lot of women have this, a back door where they're just like, I've got a secret bank account or I've, I've got like my parents' house as a backup plan because I can't fully just let myself go and surrender to being loved completely by this man because there's a chance that it's not going to be safe for me and I've got to look after my own and I've got to look after myself. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think past trauma really does do that to people and make them, um, yeah, have a level of fear that maybe isn't justified by the person they're in a relationship with, but it's baggage that they've carried over. Yeah, and Um, I think that, um, that Christ is asking us to do that, to say, lean in. Lean fully in and allow yourself to be fully loved by this other person. But at the same time, at the same time, and the way that I've seen this passage misused is that women have been subjected to terrible treatment because their responsibility is to submit to their husband and treat him as if he is their Lord. Um, And, and no, you, you, you just have to suffer through that because your job is to submit, which is not what Paul is asking for in any way, shape or form. Yes. And if your husband has any emotional or spiritual problems where he is not a safe person, the, the answer to that isn't submitting more. The answer to that is his relationship with Christ and probably a licensed therapist to get through that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll be honest because this is these passages make me uncomfortable as well. Mm. Often... And not just the bit that speaks to wives, but the speaks parts that speak to husbands. Because I didn't grow up a Christian. I also didn't grow up knowing my father. Mm. So I don't, I've never had a positive male role model show me what it means to love a, a woman in Christ. And, you know, so my whole journey with this has been, how do I live up to this text? Yeah. When I've never seen it. So you've read scripture and been like, how do I be a man that follows after Jesus? And you look at, at the Bible and you say, well, I want to take that and do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but it's it's challenging mm. and it's scary yeah, because it's, sure. it's it's a pretty big deal. Mm. It is time for us to take a break. Okay, we're going heavy today. Are we getting light <laughs> enough at all or not? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. Um, I think that's okay. We'll just do some fun episodes another time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll be back very soon. Uh, stick with us here on Faith FM. Alas, and did my savior bleed? Did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head Someone such as I At the cross, at the cross Where I first saw the light The burden of my heart rolled away And it was there by faith I received my sight it for Christ that I have done He suffered on a tree Amazing pity Grace unknown And I'll be undone 
Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM and you've tuned into The Marriage Project with Bethany and Chapo. And today we're talking about New Testament marriage and we're talking about Ephesians chapter 5. And it's been heavier than our usual conversations, chaps, mostly because it took us like over an hour to try and figure out what we were going to talk about today and to like find a sense of peace and agreement about how to come to talking about this as well because of our own past trauma, because of our own sinfulness and difficulty in approaching the Bible sometimes too. Yeah, and also yeah. and also because we both love the Word of God. Yes. And we want to actually, we don't want to do the wrong thing by the Word of God. Yeah. But we also don't want to perpetuate false ideas and misuse of the Word of God. So it's been yeah. a, it's been a, yeah, it's been a challenging. We don't want to do the wrong thing by you, our listener as well. Correct. Yeah. That's right. So tell us, chaps, we've just spent a little bit of time talking about wives. Tell us about the husband's part. So this is what it says. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, or in any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Hmm. I feel like you should continue speaking, because I don't want to speak into your your part of the text right now. Okay. So you talk about it and then you can invite me to talk about it if you so want. So Paul Paul gives the command to husbands to love their wives yep. just like Christ loved the church. And then he goes on to explain all the different ways that Christ has loved the church. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not saying that husbands should be sanctifying their wives and that they should be washing their wives with water and words. Uh, Once again, actual Jesus's job. Actual Jesus's <laughs> job, right. Yep. So this is the thing. This is But what Paul's doing is creating, he's trying to paint the picture of how greatly the church has been loved by Jesus, mm. the great things he has done, the marvelous things he has done that we benefit from. Mm. And then he's saying, wives, you, husbands, you should try to love your wives with that same intensity of love, mm. that same self-sacrificing, all-encompassing devotion and love to your spouse as Christ has to us with everything he has done for us. So again, it's, it's not, it's, we cannot be Jesus. Yes. I cannot do the things for you that Jesus can do for you, but I can try to love you as greatly as possible. Because the big, the bigger picture here is Paul is trying to create this almost like a parallel or like a little picture of like, like the way that uh, um, the gospel impacts society. You know, mm. like marriage has always been this little glimpse into the way that God loves us, the way that we love each other is like a little picture of. Yeah, the bigger the bigger picture, I suppose. And even in sexual intimacy, there's the words used that are only only other place they're used in Bible in the scripture is the way that they are used between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That closeness. So, marriage relationship is a really important thing in terms of God revealing Himself to the world. And I guess that's why we wanted to bring the marriage project to you guys as well. Is that we really believe that when people who are believers, when Christians love one another well, when marriages are thriving, that that is a representation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, of how much Jesus loves the church, of how much Jesus loves the world around us. 
And that when they look at us, they'll see a little picture and go, what is that love like? That is a little bit like God's love. That's right. Yeah. So for us, this is, this is a really cool challenge, you know? Yeah. It's terrifying as well. And like I said, it's scary for someone who grew up without being a part of the church and without knowing my dad. Both of those things combined is just like, how do I be a faithful husband? How do I be a good dad? Like it's been a challenge for me. Yeah. And do you find like just reading that big mandate there gives you like that sinking feeling in your guts of like, how can I live up to this? The only chance I've got is by devoting myself to Christ. Yeah. I have no way of doing it. I cannot... In any strength that I have, there is nothing that I can do to love you as close to the love that God has shown all of us. Mm, mm. My best bet is to be as close to Jesus as possible, and hopefully his goodness will manifest itself through me to you and to our kids. That's that's my best chance because otherwise I've got no hope. Yeah, and I just wanted to bring out that same like the, the wives part, is like a kick in the guts for me. This part is also like a kick in the guts for you because oh. it's such a huge thing to take on and such an out-of-character thing to take on as Because well. it's a constant reminder. Like, if I lose my temper with you, if I um, get, if I complain or get angry or think horrible thoughts or anything like that, that is not har- in harmony with the way that Christ feels towards us. You know, mm. like it's a, that's a big, big thing that we've been called to. Um, also, it says how for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. The idea is that just as Jesus was willing to sacrifice all of himself so that his, he was completely consumed by his love for the church, that's what it's asking husbands mm-hmm. to be for the wife, that we are willing to go without, to put the wife first, to, that her needs might be met first, that her that she might be safe and well and all this kind of stuff before it's me, which is so countercultural in the society that it was spoken in, where a wife was considered as property, which sounds totally gross now, but it was just the norm back then. It was just, <laughs> we're talking a long time ago, a lot of ancient societies were quite archaic and patriarchal and brutal, but that was how it was. So f- for Paul saying that you have not been touched by the gospel if you are treating your wife like property and if you are not loving her, it was a big deal. Mm. which angered many people. And when you look at some of the texts that Paul writes about feasts and about the way that the the dinner table worked and the way eating worked, was that the wealthy people, the people who had more or the more honoured people got to eat first. So to say nourish the person who is less than you, that's a pretty big deal as well. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I just do want to comment on, and I know this is talking about what Jesus has done for the church. It's not necessarily a mandate of mine, but it is a great thing to think of as well where it says that Christ, he sanctifies the church, right, and that he cleansed the church for the reason so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And I do like the comparison of the idea, um, is your wife the best version of herself because she's married to you? Mm. Are you loving her in such a way, respecting her, honouring her in such a way that, that she is the best version of, of that she can be? Yeah. Well, that's what that word splendor means, like that she's magnificent. Do people look at your wife and go, wow, she is a top lady. Yeah. And then you can be like, it's because I married her and I lifted her <laughs> well, up. No, that's, I lifted that's, her well, up. That's, not my, that's Jesus' job. <laughs> Jesus lifts you up, okay? Jesus fulfills you. The light of the gospel shines through you because of him. Yeah. But it's a good parallel that I can be thinking about, like, Yeah. Yeah, that you are part of her growth and yeah. her betterment. Yeah. That's right. Um, and I love that it talks about 
um, sanctifying her as well because that word sanctify means to set apart or to make different. Make holy. To make holy, yeah, but also set apart and make different as well, right? Correct. And so when you think about your spouse, like are you making her different? Are you making your wife different from any other woman that is in your life or that walks down the street or that you come across? And I love that, like that idea of lifting her up, setting her apart, making her different because she's yours and she's special and she's different to any other woman that you come into contact with as yeah. well. Yeah. Cool. Which is very cool, I reckon. Um, yeah. So I think that that's very cool. And the greater portion of the text is spent on the husband. Def- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it also... Um, because yeah. it's reminding the husband of all the great things that Christ has done for the church mm. to therefore kind of <laughs> encourage him to step up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's so many pictures of unhealthy relationships. And that is something that you and I growing up did not have to look very far to find. But a relationship where two people... Submit to one another out of reverence for God, where two people love one another, where two people practice growing in discipleship, where two people exercise the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That takes courage. Yeah. That takes tenacity, sticking it out, takes godliness, takes prayer, and it takes a willing to ask, how can we get through this together and hold fast to one another as we move forward? Yeah. And that's a pretty big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I want to bring up something that's pretty cool. Can I bring up something that's pretty cool? I'd like you to bring up something Okay. Cool. It's a John Gottman thing because I think that John Gottman is one of the best researchers about marriage relationships in the world. Um, he's spent year after year researching, watching people like in a big brother house who are in relationships, writing down everything about them from their sweat levels to the things that they say about each other to things that they do to one another. And in his observations of marriages, John Gottman has found some really interesting stuff. And one of his studies, which he writes about in Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work, he talks about accepting influence. And that if you practice accepting the influence of your partner, then you are more likely to have a lasting relationship. Mm, okay. So I've got a little bit of a quote here from him. It says, even in the first few months of marriage, men who allow their wives to influence them have happier marriages, are less likely to divorce than men who resist their wives' influence. And statistically speaking, when a man is not willing to share power with his partner, there is an 81% chance that his marriage will self-destruct. Huge. That's huge. So what accepting influence means is do I care about what my partner has to say? Do I think that their opinion, their point of view, the way that they see the world is important? Or do I just power forward with the thing that I think is important? (laughs) We've heard stories from friends of ours about like uh, (laughs) men who have just gone out and bought a house without their wife's consultation because they're the head of the home so they can make those decisions and we're moving, pack the things. <laughs> and they come over and they're like, this is the keys to our new house. <laughs> yeah. and the table. That stuff really happens. That stuff I really I think I've heard two stories about that happening. But, yeah. um, but like Gottman has observed that when we find when we accept each other's influence, when we're more likely to treat one another like their opinion, their thoughts and their feelings matter, 
then that's when we actually find a way to move forward and to have better communication in your relationship as well. So accepting influence doesn't mean that I believe everything that you say is true because let's be honest, we have completely different brains and the majority of relationships, like two-thirds of the times where we have conflict, we can't actually solve the conflict. We come into um, gridlock, we can't actually find a way around it. But what we can do is I can find something that you're saying that makes sense to me. And I can say, okay, I can see what you mean there. We can find, I can, he calls it finding the kernel of truth in what the other person is saying. Um, and so looking for a way to compromise or looking for a way that you can both win. And he talks about the fact that men actually are not as good at, as women at doing this. Right. And I don't know whether it's because we play dolls and families and you play like race cards and winning the race, but when you're a kid, but the answer isn't just going, yes, dear. The answer is coming to a solution together. Oh, the yes, dear thing is bad, bad <laughs> thing to say. I tried that early on in our marriage. It did not go down well. No. Um, I don't, it might work for you. If it does, congratulations. But <laughs> we'll be back soon with hopefully some lighter f- remarks to finish up on uh, this afternoon with you here. So stay tuned. You're listening to Faith FM. Hey everyone, we're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson, and you can join us every morning on The Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, awe-inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Brecky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. Faith FM has a brand new live show each weekday morning straight after the breakfast show called Tassie Encounters. Tune in for fascinating discussions of history, science, faith, and personal encounters with Jesus. Tassie Encounters, live every weekday straight after the breakfast show on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Marriage Project. You are listening to Faith FM, and you have been here with Bethany and, and I as we have been talking about one of the tricky passages from the New Testament that talks about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We've had a good discussion. It's been a deep discussion. It's been a theological discussion. It may have been an uncomfortable discussion for some of you. Yes. It may have been an enjoyable discussion for others. (laughs) But we've had it nonetheless. Yes. And I don't want to pretend that in this short amount of time that we have covered all of the conversation that can be had about this text because it has been an ongoing conversation from many people in churches and in many books for years and years and decades. That's right. Yeah. And if you've disagreed with some of the points that we've made, that's okay because we often disagree with each other Yeah. on many things and particularly this topic exactly. You so. know, do you reckon we disagree with each other more about theology than we do about, like, stuff at our house? Probably. <laughs> I just Probably. thought of that. Um, so something that I was touching on just before we went to the break was that John Gottman says that there are seven things that really help to make your marriage last for a long time and make your marriage work. And one of those is accepting your partner's influence. How willing are you to accept your partner's influence? And that means how willing are you to take on board the things that they think are important or the things that they are saying and how willing are you to say, okay, I can I can understand that, I can see yeah. that. How willing are you to push towards a win-win or an area of compromise rather than just I win my way or the highway, get out? And I thought it was really fascinating because there is a male and female difference in this 
part of the way that men and women relate to each other in marriage. Okay. And he said that the wives of men who accept their their influence are less likely to be harsh when with their husbands when they broach a difficult marriage topic. Yeah, right. So what that means is that if you as a husband are listening to your wife, are accepting her influence, are finding ways to go, oh, okay, how can we both win? How can I honour what she's saying to me even if I don't agree with it? How can I respect her even though we are coming from two different sides of the same argument? That she's more likely to come to you in a respectful, kind calm way when she says, hey, hun, let's talk about the garbage or the dishes, then she is, if you don't ordinarily respect her and talk to her, she's going to come to you in a harsh, aggressive, critical way and say, you never do this, you always do that, if you haven't been hearing her and accepting her influence. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Why did you particularly mention the garbage and the dishes then? Oh, because apart from theology, that's the other thing that we argue about (laughs) in our marriage. Yeah, and have done for 12 years. (laughs) And I, I want you to know that this journey with this text has been something that we have been looking into in Scripture, that we've been looking into in commentaries, that we've been asking other believers about since before we got married, because it is a difficult text. But I don't think that it has to be a difficult text either. I think that it's a really beautiful picture of how we can live and how we can operate our lives in a way that honors Jesus that we can remember that Christ is the actual saviour of the world, but that we can play a picture that makes other people look at our marriage and go, what is that? That's right. What is that? It's a little bit like how Jesus loves the church, and I think that's a really important thing to remember. And I think that's the big heart of the whole thing. Yeah. If, is there a way that in our marriage we can make, we can have something that other people long for? Yeah. And I think that, and I just, I really loved what we talked today about that idea that headship isn't a ruling over or a forcing someone to do or to come into line under what you believe or think or say, but that the head is attached to the body and without the body it is dead and vice versa. And so the two are joined together as one, as one flesh like Genesis says, and they operate together and they function together and the head leads and nourishes and the body moves and they they work together mm. and the body says, hey, this is important. And the head listens sometimes and they work together. And I love that. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's time for us to uh, to disappear. To yeah. disappear? <laughs> <laughs> I think what you mean is it's the end of the show. It's the end of the show. <laughs> I'm not a magician. <laughs> so we've had a wonderful time this afternoon. Thanks for bearing with us and tuning with us. I think it's really important to gather from different parts of Scripture and build a theology of what it means to be a married person and to be a person who follows after God and is married. So it's good to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, it's time for us to wrap up. So thanks again for tuning in. We look forward to being with you again next week on Faith FM. Faith FM.